Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics podcast. We host real conversations with real experts from around the world. Away from the filtered bubble of social media, our aim is to educate listeners and explore any topic in the cosmetic and wellness space. We also get a unique insight into the business minds of the entrepreneurs and pioneers who have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general information about procedures and products. You should seek professional medical advice and assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Greg Lemon. Greg is the co-founder and marketing director of Cosmeditour, Australia's largest cosmetic tourism agency. Cosmeditour has facilitated procedures for over 9,000 patients, with approximately 5,000 of those having procedures in Thailand and 4,000 here in Australia with our own plastic surgeons. In this episode, we get an insight into how Cosmeditour started and how their agency works. We discuss many of the controversial topics associated with cosmetic tourism in general and how they have aligned with many of our country's leading plastic surgeons in offering procedures right here in Australia. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Hey, Jake. Hello. How are you? How's life where you are? Hey, David. It's a bit wet up here in Queensland. It's extremely wet where I am. Is it raining where you are, David? Oh, yeah. It's been raining for the last two days. Yeah, it's absolutely hammering it down. We've gone from insanely hot weather to extreme rain. Yeah, I was up in uh, Brizzy at the weekend, Greg, and uh, it shat it down the whole time. So luckily I was working and not there to enjoy myself. Yeah, look, you have, you have to feel for the um, travellers who waited all this time and raced out of Victoria to come to the, the wonderful sunny Gold Coast and uh, suddenly they get um, 400 mil of rain in 36 hours. Well, at least they were mask-free and able to wander around and do what they liked. So, Greg, we are here today to talk about cosmetic tourism. And I think historically it's been quite a dividing sort of topic. You've been, um, it's been something that's been criticized for a long time by a lot of people, but it's been something that's growing in popularity. Um, I guess there's reasons why it's become popular because of, I guess, the prices that a lot of people, I guess, couldn't afford in countries like Australia, which led them to wanting to look for solutions overseas. And you've had Cosmetic Tour for how many years now? That's 10 years. So we started in May 2010. Right. Okay. So I guess, you know, what we'd like to do initially is just find out a little bit about you and we'll get onto Cosmetic Tour and your business and the amazing things that you've done over the last 10 years. But I guess, you know, Jake and I and the listeners would want to know a little bit about you and your background and, and how you sort of ended up in this, uh, this crazy industry and, and particularly in this area of the industry. Sure. Look, I think... Um from a medical tourism standpoint, I'd been involved in tourism and travel pretty much for most of my um, career. And I was born and raised a British colonial kid in Fiji and uh, grew up under palm trees and hanging out on beaches and diving and snorkeling. So for me, travel was pretty much in my blood from a very early age. Um, a couple of interesting things. My, my first medical travel experience was four years of age. Uh, misdiagnosed uh, by some specialists in Fiji of having a hole in the heart. Next thing I know, my mother's brought me to Australia, to Sydney, to see an eminent cardiac specialist who simply told her that he's a sort of big heart, this kid, take him home, he's fine. Um, so that was my first little journey, I guess, as a little guy in medical travel. It was effectively travelling from one country to another because the area of specialty wasn't covered in the, the originating country. So fast forward um, some 20-odd years, I then had another 
medical travel experience, which was a was more serious nature. Uh, my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer, given a relatively short window. And um, I then researched cancer clinics, alternative therapy cancer clinics offshore, and uh, discovered a few in Mexico that seemed to be having some pretty good results. So since there really wasn't an alternative, um, I headed off with my mother to Mexico. And whilst the outcome wasn't what we wanted or what we'd hoped for, um, I certainly learned a lot that there was a lot of people being treated in a foreign country with alternative modalities that weren't available in their country. So I guess that's sort of a bit of early experience in medical travel. And then fast forward to, I guess, a life and a career involved in the travel industry, tourism, primarily Australians traveling offshore for resorts and holidays. And um, it was, a, I think it was 2009, it was, because it was about a year before we started Cosmeditool, that I started noticing a lot of Australians returning home from Asia with shiny new teeth, the girls looking pretty good in bikinis, and um, you know people with uh, refreshed looks on their faces. So I started researching this and found that there was a lot of people traveling to Thailand, Vietnam, um, even the Philippines for um, cosmetic plastic surgery and cosmetic dentistry. So looked into it, went to Thailand, met a lot of the leading hospitals, and some fantastic surgeons, started to understand the industry a bit more, then um, came back and launched the business in 2010. Started uh, very small. It's, uh, it was a different industry. I'd spent many years in general travel and tourism and involved in businesses sending um, thousands, in fact, tens of thousands of Australians overseas for resort holidays. But this was quite different because people were clearly uh, making a decision about um, a healthcare procedure which um, carried with it um, a lot more risks than buying a package holiday to Fiji and going around a pool. So that was 2009. We did all the research, uh, launched the business in 2010. So a little bit of a background um, on the start of the business, where we got to. That's really interesting, Greg. Um, i got a question, and I'm not uh, trying to be difficult, but it was a bit of a curly one. How did you do you know, your due diligence when, I guess, even looking for your own mother's sort of healthcare treatments abroad? Like, What were you looking for that wasn't available, and how did you decide... You know, that was something you want to embark on. Well, and I guess some of our um, listeners probably don't even remember these times, but there was a time before the internet. <laughs> and that, that was when my mother was diagnosed with cancer. So I think I headed off to the, to the, um, the State Library in Sydney and went through uh, lots of volumes of, um, I guess, uh, information to see, see if I could arrive at the place and then got on the telephone. So... Due diligence back in those days was a lot more challenging than it is today with the internet. Now, when it comes to Thailand, it's actually fairly easy to walk into a, a hospital and to look around you and to see that it's an amazing facility and everything from the people at reception to the, the, the doctors, the nursing teams, the theatres, the software, the facilities, the patients, the... And you, when you walk into something like that in Thailand and in Bangkok, um, I think everybody who hasn't experienced a world-class hospital in a place like Bangkok is shocked um, at to the, the quality of these places. Now, that doesn't mean that top-quality surgery or, or treatments go hand-in-hand hand with beautiful facilities. Yeah. 
Um, I know that in uh, parts of the Middle East, um, they've poured, you know, unimaginable sums into facilities, but they've been unable to secure enough specialists and medical teams to actually um, offer the, the complete proposition. But Thailand is not that. And Thailand had started its medical tourism journey many years prior to um, our involvement in it um, with a hospital called Bumragrat. And, um, in fact, it was an American team that, that went and helped this um, premier hospital in Thailand become one of the top five or six hospitals in the world. So from there on, others took note. And then the hospital, um, the hospital industry in Thailand is one that a lot of people invest in. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, you can see that in the facilities. Mm. Um, I was wanting to know how or who or what body regulates these facilities and the quality of surgeons, because I know that, um, and again, not to be difficult, but I'm, you know, I think I'm just asking the questions that people would want the answers to is that, you know, you can build something that looks great and nice and has all the right, you know, requirements or I guess to someone that's non-medical looking at it and go, well, this looks fantastic. But what sort of like mechanisms are in place to ensure things are at a certain standard? Because unfortunately human nature is, especially when you're looking at the commercial reality of businesses, um, you sometimes need those regulatory mechanisms to ensure that things are at a certain standard. So how do they actually do that over there? Well, the Thai um, medical industry is a, is a very robust one and they have, they have training in their hospitals and they have training in their universities that are the equal of anywhere in the world. And to that end, there are organisations like JCI, which is an international organisation headquartered in America, which accredits hospitals around the world, and they have very strict standards for acceptance um, into JCI. Uh, it stands for Joint Commission International. So you'll be surprised, or may, may be surprised, there are something like 30 or 40 hospitals in Thailand that are JCI accredited. So it's not just local or domestic um, standards and um, accreditation, but it, it because of the robust and the substantial nature of medical tourism for places like Thailand, they have to be seen to be accepted globally within their um, medical fraternity. Greg, why do you think that um, the industry that you're involved in does have so, so much controversy around it? Do you think that's spun by the newspapers and, you know, and, and sort of very rare catastrophic events or maybe even local surgeons here in Australia who are a little bit jealous of, of the whole gig? Where, where does it come from? Uh, Jake, um, all of the above. Now, as you can imagine, in any industry, when another industry comes along and seeks to usurp or replace or, or share in the spoils, as it were, they're not going to get received um, positively by the, um, the incumbent. And again, unfortunately, because of media and what media is capable of doing, um, a single unfortunate episode can be blown out of all proportion. Um, and suddenly an entire industry is um, is put under the microscope. So to really answer your question, a lot of it is vested interest. Um, in other words, it's, it's fairly simple. Um, one plus one equals two exercise. In other words, if people, and we send and have sent many, many thousands of Australians to Thailand to undertake uh, plastic surgery procedures. Now, every one of those patients that does that is spending money with um, our organisation, with Thai hospitals and Thai surgeons, and they are not spending money with um, 
the Australian plastic surgery fraternity. So you can understand that that is not something that's going to be endorsed or recommended or, um, and that at any opportunity that um, the people in the industry have in Australia, if they're feeling the pinch um, from people going offshore, there's, um, there'll be many opportunities where they'll have a chance to, you know, put, put their, um, their opinion in. And, and unfortunately, it's one of those things, and I'll sort of dig a little bit deeper into why um, sometimes people tend to have this opinion that, you know, if it all goes pear-shaped overseas, then you're in a whole world of hurt, is that in Australia with, um, you know, medical indemnity insurance, if anything goes wrong with surgery, it's fairly quickly organised or sorted um, between the surgeon, between the lawyers and between the insurance companies. If something goes wrong in Thailand, let's say somebody comes back and they've had a plastic surgery procedure, let's say a breast augmentation, they come back to Australia and they may have gone directly with a hospital in Thailand or a hospital elsewhere. Um, they may have gone through a, a little tiny uh, medical travel agency who has no financial resources um, to look after things when things do go um, pear-shaped. So they come back to Australia, they don't get the outcome that they want, um, they go to their local doctor, their local plastic surgeon to have a look and have a fix. And there's, I mean, we've known examples like this where there's a, almost a direct line between the plastic surgeon and the local media. And the one thing we've learned over the years is that the media is always happy to cover stories about plastic surgery. And um, when plastic surgery goes wrong, it's even more um, front page or page three. So yeah. That's a little bit of background on why that's able to happen. And you only need one example to sort of go pear-shaped out of thousands and it still makes a page three in the old parlance, so page three of the newspapers. Yeah. So when people are looking to get these procedures done and say they, they come to Cosmetic Tour and they want to find a surgeon, how do you go about, I guess, you know, selecting the patient? Because I know patient selection is a big thing as well. You know, you want to make sure that the people that – are going to be using your 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 services are going to be compliant and you can tell that they're sensible they've got realistic expectations depending on the outcome that they're after there may be a particular surge and that that suits them more than another so how do you go about making that all happen and teeing those patients up with the correct surgeon and then weeding out the people that you, you perhaps think you know aren't right for your offering yeah, good question. Well, the patients sometimes will select the surgeon. Now, in the early days when we were first starting, we didn't really have many, let's say, many cases, many testimonials, many clients that we could you know, showcase to um, prospective future clients. But 10 years on, it's a little different. I mean, we have some surgeons who have performed. We have one, our leading surgeon in Thailand, who's a professor who heads up the um, plastic surgery department at um, Chilalongkorn University, um, Dr. Pontep. He's performed over 1,500 um, procedures, actually over 1,500 patients from Cosmeditor. So we have hundreds of his cases on our website where people can actually look at the outcomes. So in that case, people are really requesting the surgeon. It's only half an answer to your question. The other half is we may look at the, the person's application. They have to um, submit full medical history, images, and then they'll talk with one of our consultants, um, either in person in the office, but usually these days it's um, on the phone, um, video calls. And then if what the person wants in the way of a plastic surgery procedure and the surgeon that they would like to have perform that procedure, if that all lines up, 
and our organization is comfortable with the marrying up of the, the, the client, um, their criteria, the surgeon, the hospital, the timing, everything, then we'll proceed to the next stage where we'll say, um, well, look, you know, have you been accepted for a preliminary acceptance for um, Dr. Porntab for your mummy makeover? Um, now we need to go to the next step. And at the next step, we then um, secure a lot more medical information from them. They'll talk to a different member in our team and then, um, you know, we'll progress from there. Can you just um, give us a bit more detail about the the virtual consultation? Because obviously that's become probably a real game changer for something like what you guys are doing where the initial first step, you know, to sort of connect the surgeon and the patient is key. But what, what happens in that? And is there any sort of virtual examination or is it just a chat? Well, actually, it's a, it's a good question. So I, I now need to differentiate between what we do for our patients who travel to Thailand and our patients who have surgery in Australia, which you haven't mentioned yet. We obviously, at the moment, no one's traveling from Australia to Thailand. Um, all of our cases at the moment are being performed in Australia with Australian surgeons. But in Australia, it's, it's a very different thing. We can come to that later. But for Thailand... What we'll do is that in a virtual consultation, one of our experienced consultants will talk with the, with the patient. We won't actually do any sort of you know, medical consultation or examination over the phone. If they then want to proceed with having a, a consultation with our surgeons in Thailand, we can then facilitate that via video link. But at the moment, COVID, the whole pandemic has thrown everything um, about face on that. In other words, Australians won't be travelling to Thailand potentially until the middle of next year, if not later. So we tend to not do any of those consultations thus far out and with the surgeons. So it's it's a preliminary consultation with our team that will actually make any recommendations and, and then further the inquiry that way. But, but I'm just curious, let's say the skies were open and you know a woman wanted to have, I don't know, breast augmentation that's probably a classic obviously medical history is done um you know some questions about their motivations etc like a normal medical consult through say zoom but then does would the surgeon you know do do an examination to sort of assess primary suitability or no, not that's all done not at that stage not unless it's a complex case but at okay. that stage jake um there's, you know, when you consider that um, images these days on computers are, are going to be fairly good, that we always advise clients that it's when they have their in-person consultation with the surgeon, which clearly yeah. happens in Thailand, yeah. that at that stage, if they are unsuitable or if they wish to not go ahead with the procedure, then right at that moment, they can actually say, look, I'm not doing this anymore. Obviously, they're up for certain costs, such as the accommodation, their flights and what have you, and then they yeah. can continue on having a nice holiday in Thailand. But I think that it may have happened once out of 5,000 cases in Thailand. So it's not really what's going to happen. But they do get to see and meet their surgeon yes. um, beforehand. And again, you know, this is a little bit of the nonsense that floats around the industry that you don't get to see your surgeon until, you know, he's performing surgery. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, that's not true. They do meet the surgeon. It can be one or two or three days prior. Um, they'll have an in-person consultation. They'll get to feel comfortable about it. And then if they want to proceed, then all the, um, the hospital um, uh, sort of inpatient stuff starts. And, you know, one of the big things that was introduced by APRA a few years ago for cosmetic surgery here was a cooling off period 
for uh, I think it was at least two weeks between operation and an initial console. So obviously that's a bit different when you're flying to Thailand and you know you're paying for accommodation, etc. So how, how long is the gap normally between meeting, you know, in person examination and potentially doing a procedure? Well, look, it can be the same day, Jake, and that's um, some people might say, well, that's a bit unusual, but bear in mind that by the time the people have met their surgeon. Um, they've had many consultations with yeah. um, our their very experienced team. Their images have been shared. They've been accepted by the hospital. Their medical um, history and data has been assessed by the hospital. Yeah. And, and sometimes we do have some people on medications which um, then requires further examination. We've actually had to get some people that get clearance from their medical professionals in Australia before flying because they may have had some, some sort of um, underlying medical condition. So there's a lot of preliminary work that is done prior to that. But as I said, the Australian thing is very much, um, uh, we understand why it's happened in Australia. We don't need to go into that now. But in Thailand, it's a different thing. You can't have someone have a um, consultation two weeks out unless they've got a lot of time to spend on a holiday. Yeah. But as I said, when they do meet our surgeons, when they do have their in-person consultation, if they do not want to proceed or the doctor says, look, this is actually not going to be, I mean, it's never going to get to that. They said, well, we don't want to go ahead with it. Then everybody parts company there and then and they, they get a full refund on their funds. Perfect. I guess it's a fairly obvious question, um, but probably one worth asking anyway, is why is it so much cheaper over in Thailand? Is it just because of the exchange rate? Is it because of surgeons work for different amounts of money and hospitals are cheaper over there? Look, I think it's um, it's all of the above. So we have surgeons in Thailand who have been performing plastic surgery for 15 or 20 years who are exceptional plastic surgeons. Many of them are members of international organizations such as ISATs. And in fact, um, our very first surgeon, uh, Dr. Sangwan Kunapon, who's just been appointed as the first Thai plastic surgeon to be appointed to the board of directors um, for um, ISATs. In relation to pricing, when we first started cosmetic tours, so 10 years ago, the price of a breast augmentation procedure in Australia, whether it was through a cosmetic surgeon or through a plastic surgeon, typically ranged from twelve to $15,000. In Thailand in 2010, a breast augmentation procedure was $3,000 with a plastic surgeon who may have practised for 15 to 20 years. Add the cost of a flight, some accommodation, and that was a fairly um, convincing proposition for a lot of people. It's changed now. It's changed for a number of reasons that um, competition in Australia has got to the stage where the price of a breast augmentation with a cosmetic surgeon may, char- may start as low as $6,000 in Australia, and even the, um, the rock stars are charging $10,000, $14,000. So it's a little different these days, and the prices in Thailand have gone up over the years. So now a breast augmentation in Thailand may be, say, $5,000 with an eminent plastic surgeon, including, say, a week's accommodation and a five-star property. You have to get your flights there. Let's say that's another 1000 So let's say 6000 Now, there's not much difference between that and a plastic surgeon who might do it for eight or 10 or 12 in Australia. And what is that? What has that resulted in? It's resulted in a drop, certainly a measurable drop in demand for, let's call it, cheaper Australian plastic, some plastic surgery in Thailand to what it is now. Can I ask Greg, I don't know if this is fair to ask you because obviously you're not medical, but um, are things like the implants um, the same brand that they might use here or, or is there, 
I don't mean cost cutting, but are the Thai brands or the Asian brands cheaper? Um, is that one way of making the cost lower? First of all, I'm going to answer your, I'm going to comment on your thing that I'm not medical. Yes, I don't have a medical degree, but um, we have been involved in this industry for quite some time. And of course, the discussion in relation to implants and implant surfaces, um, particularly as the company does more boob jobs than any others from Australia, um, is obviously a topic of, of some con. Uh, conversation with surgeons in thailand the implants and i understand in your program I'm not meant to mention the actual manufacturers the implants in thailand come from exactly the same companies that uh, implants in australia come from okay so you the, can the, mention the, the name that's fine sure mentor yeah um, okay. motiva i mean okay. uh, uh, pretty much that's it yeah perfect well those are the recognized brands here so that's no different so, so the commentary that you may get in, um, you know, from say the uh, the industry in Australia is, oh, look, they're using cheap, um, you know, cheap implants sourced from you know other countries. It's complete nonsense. Well, we've spoken about um, you know breast augmentation a lot, and I'm, I'm assuming that's probably the procedure that comes to mind when anyone thinks about cosmetic tourism. But what are the other most common procedures that people are having done? I mean, when we had a preliminary chat, we were even talking about things like stem, stem cell treatments, which are starting to happen all around the world as well in um, you know countries such as Panama and Mexico and maybe over in Thailand, I'm not too sure as well. But what are the most, what are the other popular procedures people are getting done? Well, in, um, are you talking about plastic surgery procedures? Just in general, just medical tourism in general. Look, I think um, medical tourism for plastic surgery is clearly a big one. Mm-hmm. The reason it's a big one is it's invariably elective. Whereas, you know, if you're having surgery on, you know, some issue in relation to, you know, spine, the rest of it, it whilst it may be elected to which country you go, it's 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 a different it's a different set of criteria. Coming back to plastic surgery, people do this naturally think about breast augmentations, but that would only be possibly twenty percent of our business for Thailand. When we first started, it was probably close to hundred percent. So nowadays people will seek out surgeons who are renowned for say a particular specialty. Now we have one surgeon in Bangkok who has performed over 500 rhinoplasty and facelift procedures for cosmetic tour patients. Mm. That's a lot of procedures. And I would say of that, there'd be 300, 350 rhinoplasty cases. Why? Now that surgeon chose to um, specialize in rhinoplasty for Caucasian patients. As you understand, most nose jobs in Asia are implants where silicon is actually inserted in the nose to give them a higher profile. But Caucasian noses tend to be um, open rhinoplasty with, you know, the reduction of the nose. So this surgeon went and had um, a lot of extra training in the United States and then came back and started performing his craft. He's worked with us now for, it's about seven years. And during that time, as I said, he's performed over 350 rhinoplastic cases for us. So people will seek him out based on his name. In, in relation to other procedures, um, there's uh, medical tourism. Australian medical travellers are going everywhere. Um, they're, uh, they're travelling to Germany for advanced spine surgery. Um, they're travelling to Thailand and Panama for, say, stem cell treatments. Uh, they're travelling to different countries around the world where they can get treatments that they cannot get here or treatments that they believe are superior to the treatments they can get here. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a very good example in spine surgery is that there are um, very advanced um, spine surgery centres in Germany 
where um, you know Australians and New Zealanders are travelling and spending a considerable amount to have surgery there that um, they choose not to have in Australia. You mentioned obviously Thailand quite um, heavily. Which other countries do you potentially send people to? Well, at the moment, we only send people to Thailand other than our domestic Australian business. Um, however, last year I spent the, the latter half of the year um, travelling through Europe and meeting um, surgeons and visiting hospitals in uh, places like Turkey, um, Cyprus, uh, France, Belgium, and so for us, expanding our cosmetics to a footprint, the next step once this pandemic is over is to um, launch into the European market and the UK market. I mean, we actually do have people who travel from the United Kingdom and all over the world through Cosmetic Tour to um, have surgery in Thailand, but we're looking at expanding our footprint into places. Uh, Turkey will be a big one because um, Turkey is pretty much the um, the epicentre of medical tourism within the um, European region and incredible hospitals and a, and a tremendous um, private healthcare industry. I've actually got a few patients who've been to Turkey for hair transplants. It's the, the world centre for hair transplant surgery. And, um, you know, the experiences were on the whole really good. Um, again, you know, one or two, not bad experiences, but interesting experiences. And, um, you know, I, it's, I guess it depends who your operator is like yourself. You know, if, if the company is looking after you and, and aligned with the right people, then, you know, it can work out really well. But c- can you give us any inside stories on what hasn't gone so well? Because, you know, let's, let's talk about the reality of this. Sure. And I think when we talk about things that maybe haven't gone well, you have to talk about the numbers of them. So at the moment, um, we've performed surgery or we've facilitated surgery on over 8,000 patients since we started, and our current um, volumes are running at close to 2,000 a year. Obviously, we started very slow. I think our first month, we had one patient, so it's, uh, it's increased since then. Um, if something goes wrong, so there's obviously two, two areas where it can go wrong. If it goes wrong in Thailand or overseas, then the most important thing is that patients are in world-class facilities which yep. will have, say, ICUs, they'll have a lot of other specialists. And, and, and this brings us to, say, another topic, that if something does go wrong uh, and you have any sort of uh, medical complications, you're better off to be in an international standard hospital that's got a lot of other specialists yeah. um, rather than just a, a um, let's say, day clinic with uh, maybe just plastic surgeons and anaesthetists. Now, I'm not having a go at that because we actually do that in Australia and it's done very successfully, but for the comfort of people travelling overseas, you do not want to be having invasive surgery um, in a day centre. You want to be in a world-class hospital. To answer your question um, after that preamble is that um, if anything does go wrong, and we've had a couple of instances where people have had to return to theatre, you understand with plastic surgery, particularly with large cases such as a mummy makeover, where someone may have a belt lapectomy, um, which is a circumferential tummy tuck, you know, that's hundreds of sutures, internal and external, yeah. Um, and there's a lot of surgery. So if you have a procedure like that, if anything does go wrong, you know, you've got to get back into surgery pretty quickly. Hmm. What about once people return home? And we're not, so let's, let's talk about aesthetic complications, not something that's acute. So say, for example, someone returns home, um, they've had an augmentation and they get capsular contracture or they get a double bubble or they get something that's happened later on. How does that 
process get managed? Do they have to go back overseas? And I know we're going to get to how you work with Australian doctors soon. I'm, I'm keen to talk about that. But how do you sort of manage that process? Okay, I guess it depends on where the, um, let's say, not I won't say liability, but where the, the, the reasons for the outcome. So let's say if somebody's come back and not followed their um, post-surgery recommendations and suddenly they've got some sort of issue with um, their breast augmentation, if, if it's clear from um, a medical examination in Australia that it is as a result of the original surgery, um, then it's a fairly open and shut case, and we, as a as a large organisation, take care of the patient. Either they return to Thailand, but these days, now that we have amazing surgeons who work with us in Australia, we will send them to one of our Australian surgeons and to take care of the issue, and invariably at no cost to the patient. So that's the first thing. If it's something that might um, happen, something happens, say a year or so after the event, um, say there's a double bubble forming on on say. Um, one of the breasts, then that's something where we'll come to an agreement with the patient. Hey, listen, you know, this is actually something that happens from surgery. It's not related to your original surgery, but it's a, it's an outcome of the fact that you did have surgery. Then we'll have a conversation with that patient and um, either assist them, um, fund the entire revision surgery, or um, certainly ensure that um, they're taken care of. That I guess that brings us to the question of who do you choose when you choose to go overseas for surgery? You would not be choosing to go with a very small agency that's been around for 10 minutes because if anything does go wrong when they come back, you know, you have to ask yourselves, will they have the um, commitment or the resources to be able to fix things when you're back in Australia? And, yes, when things do go wrong and people do come back to Australia, you know, we'll use our Australian plastic surgeons to take care of any issues. We actually had a, a question submitted by a listener. I apologise, I can't remember her name. But um, she was asking, you know, maybe not a cosmetic issue, but let's say, you know, a week after the operation, someone's back, they're off the plane and they notice, you know, an infection in, in one of their wounds or something that needs attention immediately, but is neither a cosmetic issue nor a, something that can wait. So it, would that sort of thing be covered by standard by Medicare? You know, that patient presents to their Australian hospital and, and away they go? Look, it's covered by Medicare, and again, this is something that our detractors have used against us. The Australian taxpayer is is lumped with um, having to take care of patients if things go wrong when they come back. The question of an infection um, post-surgery is an interesting one because where did the infection get contracted? As you understand, you know, when you have a wound that um, and you leave hospital and then you have a week of, say, recovery and then you come back to Australia, what the patient does from the time they leave hospital in Thailand until the time they come back to Australia, may have been such that they you know, caused the, uh, the wound to become infected. It may not have been. Yeah. But whatever happens when they come back to Australia, if they, if they need any sort of um, immediate medical intervention, they will go to the hospital. Yeah. Um, anything after that that they require, um, cosmetic tour will always step in. And we have done so. We've had people who have come back. And, and we've had to take care of it with our um, private plastic surgeons in Australia. We... You know, with the internet, there's no place to hide um, and you have to look after every single patient as best as yeah. you can. And, you know, even the ones who um, really the responsibility doesn't rest with us, we still will look after them as a cosmetic to a patient. So let's let's get on to the Australian doctors that you're working with. I'm really, really interested to know how that all came about because I think that when we sort of discussed this very early on in, in, the, um, in, the, in the discussion is that there's always been that sort of pushback um, from, I guess, the greater 
community here and medical community in Australia about people going overseas. So how did you go about, I guess, building that bridge and working on those relationships and how, how does it all sort of transpire? Yeah, again, um, really good question, Dave, and one we covered um, previously is that, so in 2014, actually late 2013, so we've been in business for, say, three and a half years. We were starting to make a make our presence known and we did a couple of things that were we were able to do because we were sending people to thailand but they they got us let's say some interesting uh, media coverage such we actually gave away a um, a five thousand dollar voucher to use towards a procedure now we carefully didn't actually say it was for a bird job but our Boob job prices were less than that, so the media picked it up and said, oh, there's a competition going where you can win a boob job. And, of course, that got everyone very excited about it, including the medical fraternity. <laughs> but we, we got a lot of publicity in the early years with a lot of people travelling to Thailand, getting great outcomes and coming back with them. And we weren't uh, backward and coming forward and, and using them um, for marketing and promotion. But in late 2013, I guess because of our presence and our growth, we were approached by surgeons, plastic surgeons on the Gold Coast to see if there was a possibility to team up with them um, to bring people from around Australia into the Gold Coast uh, using our medical travel platform um, for breast augmentation. And um, after many months of um, discussions, negotiations and um, putting the, the process together, uh, we launched breast um, surgery on the Gold Coast, um, marketing breast surgery through... Um, plastic surgeons and um, since then we've performed over well, our surgeons have performed over 3,000 primary breast augmentations on the Gulf Coast and more than half of them half of those patients have come from either interstate Queensland or interstate um, and uh, many from New Zealand so we effectively created a medical tourism segment on the Gold Coast um, but focusing on uh, primary breast augmentations and, and that's been tremendously successful not not um, you know for any other reason that the surgeons who were behind it um, had the highest credentials in Australia and then um, used the facility as a as a training um, and an educational um, process for younger plastic surgeons so it's been a tremendous commercial success but also success for um, training um, for breath, for um, aesthetic breast um, surgery on the Gold Coast. That's how we started. And then fast forward, well, fast forward six years, um, we now work with um, surgeons on the Gold Coast in the private capacity doing every form of plastic surgery. But um, Sydney, we've, uh, we've now grown significantly. We have eight plastic surgeons we work with in Sydney and uh, we provide anything up to 40% um, of the total patient numbers for those surgeons. Um, and they come from around Australia, they come from New Zealand, no one from further afield at this stage, um, and that's actually worked very, very well. So we used our original medical travel platform um, to help create a, an Australian industry, as it were, um, bringing people from around the country into our partner surgeons. Can I ask, Greg, um, and maybe I've got this wrong, I was looking at your website um, last week when we were doing our research, and I noted, and maybe it was deliberate, that you don't, name listed surgeons either in Thailand or Australia is that deliberate or is it just because you don't want to incentivize one particular person and, and make that sort of a biased um, selection process uh, look I think it's again it's a good question we do have well we actually have two websites Jake now one of them is our, um, our .com site which is for Thailand 
And the other site is a, is a different site. It's cosmedia2australia.com.au. And the reason we have two sites is that um, our Australian business must be APRA compliant. Uh-huh. So we have to comply with everything that a surgeon or a medical facility has to in Australia. Um, and that's why we don't we don't name our surgeons as such on the Australian site, but we do name um, all of our surgeons, our Thai surgeons, on our .com site. Um, it's just a different thing that relates to um, marketing and promotion. Okay, fair enough. And and how do you go about selecting your doctors, both abroad and locally? What does that look like? Do you mean selecting as in bringing them on board or yes. recommend, recommending them for patients? Uh, well, both, I guess. I mean, how do you as a company align with a surgeon? And then, of course, you know, how, how do you speak to your patients about you know, y- your surgeons? Um, well, actually, in Thailand and, and in Australia, we found the best way to, uh, let's say, bring new surgeons on board was to use our existing surgeons. Um, who would then be able to recommend colleagues of theirs. Now, the one thing our existing surgeons didn't want to do was to recommend colleagues who'd perform inferior surgery or where you'd have a lot of complications with patients. So we've used really um, our top surgeons on like a peer-reviewed criteria Mm. um, to bring more and to recommend more surgeons to, uh, to join our team. And I'm sure that it's probably gotten a lot easier to recruit over time given that you've always got with anything your first adopters, the people that are you know, happy to be the first, the first ones to do something a little bit different, maybe a bit controversial. And then once they've proven that it's safe and that it's all good, you'll get people that come on you know, subsequent to that. And I'm sure that's probably what's happened. Well, it's certainly happened in Australia that way, David. Um, in Thailand, a little bit different because we've been there for 10 years. Yeah. But in Australia, particularly recently, we've added uh, a number of, um, let's just say, new surgeons. When I say new surgeons, they've been plastic surgeons for 20 years. But they've joined, let's say, the cosmetic tour, um, you know, brand in relation to um, accepting our patients. And very much a case of they've, they've adopted a wait and see. But now I've had during COVID quite a few plastic surgeons, including some very well-known ones, um, approaching us through their clinics to see if they could partner with us um, because they've now seen what we do and, and the standards that we apply in our organisation. Yeah. And I think it's just great for the industry in general. And it's better for patients because it just gives them the, the freedom to do what they, what the choices they want to make for themselves, but also knowing that they're not going to be, you know, shunned or turned away, or, or you sort of be criticised when they come back here and something goes wrong. It just makes it safer for everyone to know that they've got uh, systems and people here in Australia that will help them in the rare event that something doesn't go according to plan. Um, again, um, it's a it's a good topic. Uh, I remember when we were. Um, negotiating with the Australian surgeons on the Gold Coast to add breast augmentations on the Gold Coast to our um, offers. Quite a few people said to me, well, why are you going to do that? You're just going to cannibalise your business to Thailand. And I said, I said, I believe it'll be the, the opposite of that. Not only will we not cannibalise our business to Thailand, we'll grow our business to Thailand because people travelling with us to Thailand for surgery will know that we have surgeons in Australia we also work with for when they come back. And whilst we don't go out and brazenly offer that we have Australian surgeons guarantee our Thai work, Thailand work, you know, people are aware of it. They only have to look at our websites to see how much business we do in Australia and Thailand to know that, you know, we can actually, we can provide um, those, those high-level plastic surgery backup facilities in Australia if they are required from our returning patients. Yeah. 
well, it's, it's sort of a little bit of that chain or paradigm shift in people's thinking because I think historically there's always been people wanting to, you know, capture that segment of the market for themselves or, you know, wanting to really, um, I guess, trying to think of the best way to explain this. I think that people need to understand that there's plenty of there's plenty of business for everyone. The market penetration is so low and that if everyone collectively works together to increase the standard, increase the, increase the care, everyone's working collectively, we're just going to get better outcomes. You'll probably have more people looking to consider these procedures because all the negativity disappears and we can collectively work as a, as a team to provide better outcomes for patients. Yeah, no, I think um, the, the, the international possibilities for this are fantastic and it's such a shame that you know you've had some vested interests in this industry and then you get the media jumping on it because botched plastic surgery is 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 definitely guaranteed to get eyeballs and it's such a shame because what really happens is when an amazing surgeon overseas has spent 20 25 years learning or developing and and and, um, perfecting a particular technique why should that expertise not be made available to others around the world, so they don't have to spend twenty years perfecting their technique. I mean, when the you know when we eventually work out that collective um, contribution is possible between surgeons in all places, and not to sort of look at them as people that are taking money off the table, then we're going to see some great advances in in this. And you know, certainly from our organisation, I have Australian surgeons, leading Australian surgeons who want to travel to Thailand and spend some time observing a couple of our famous surgeons in Thailand in theatre, in surgery. Now, what does that tell you? Mm. Well, yeah, if you can grow that collegiate sort of uh, cooperation and make it educational and, you know, um, for the greater good, then I think it, it just makes it a much better thing for everyone and the Australian surgeons become less potentially um, upset about it all. But um, yeah. Well, look, in a way, Jake, it's it's sort of happening in, in, a, in a small way. For example, we have surgeons in Europe who came out and had six months training um, in our um, affiliated breast centre on the Gold Coast. Yeah. And they're now back in um, places like France and Belgium and Cyprus performing surgery on patients in those countries, having perfected their skills through our organisation in Australia. Yeah. You know, yeah. we've, we've had surgeons on. I remember Dr. Rostogi David said um, that he had to seek, you know, obviously his early training, this is 20, maybe 25 years ago, outside of Australia, but just because the volume isn't here to learn how to do facelifts. If you're not doing 100 or 200 a year, then you're not getting that experience. And maybe, you know, going to Asia wouldn't be a bad thing if the volume is there to, to observe that every day, then why not? Well, indeed. And Jake, you mentioned uh, hair transplants and um, Turkey being the hair transplant capital of the world, which I agree with you having seen the facilities. Um, it's also uh, famous for plastic surgery. And in fact, it's uh, of all the plastic surgery um, procedures, rhinoplasty, in Turkey is uh, right up there. And in fact, there are many famous um, plastic surgeons, Turkish plastic surgeons who are sought out. Even one of our surgeons went up there from uh, one of our surgeons who's now in France who went through our facility in the Gold Coast, went up to Istanbul and had an extra week of um, training on a particular technique for open rhinoplasty. So, you know, it's already happening and it's happening amongst everyone's peers, um, but it's it needs there needs more of it so that uh, we have better outcomes right throughout the industry. 
So what do you think, or what do you hope, maybe, maybe both, what do you hope and what do you think the future holds for cosmetic tourism and your business in general? Okay, when I say cosmetic tourism, I think that the future is very bright. I think that the comments we've been sharing about the, um, the, the collegiate approach, um, international collegiate approach, is happening. Uh, we're, we're involved in it and we're actually pushing it. And when I say we're pushing it is that it's all very well people getting together, say, in a, a, a plastic surgery conference once a year in Miami or Turkey or wherever. That's great and they go away. But what then needs to happen is that those people have learned those um, specialties or increased specialties if they need business. And this is where channels like ours um, sort of come into play where we we partner with surgeons who have achieved a level of expertise. And then as a marketing business um, and as a brand in itself is that we're able to acquire the patients that then actually go as patient um, throughput for those surgeons. So you kind of need both. It's all very well being highly skilled and attending multiple conferences around the world. But then, um, as you rightly say, you need a lot of business to go through. And, you know, when you've got a surgeon who's done, say, 500 rhinoplasty cases, open rhinoplasty cases, and he's still doing it, your chances are you're going to get a very good outcome. I've just come up with a new business arm for you, Greg. <laughs> um, so we meet a lot of patients, and, and David can speak for this, where they've had, unfortunately, poor experiences with their injectables, whether it's, you know, Perth or Sydney or wherever. And, you know, I guess similar with surgery, how, how does someone from the public know who to go to? And so I guess what you're doing, even though it's a tourism business, is that you're filtering patients into you know trusted surgeons and so maybe there's an arm to filter people through to trusted injectors how about that um, any any idea who might be a good injector uh, no, no idea david knows a couple of them but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i don't know it, it, it's just off the top of my head but um it, it, it's sort of related you know people have bad experiences and they and they sometimes learn from that and they sometimes don't and so yeah, yeah. Well, well i guess as well in australia we've got um especially cosmetic injectables is becoming so popular. People are choosing it as a career path before they even go and study nursing, for example, and then potentially um, making it difficult for patients to sort of ascertain like the experience level. Like everyone can sort of hop on Instagram these days and make themselves look like an expert in five minutes. And I guess that because it's just so popular now, is that what you're sort of getting at, Jake? Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe there is also an arm in that similar to what we were just saying about surgeons traveling abroad to get experience, uh, connecting injectors up to get experience um, mm. and train abroad or train uh, locally, whatever. That's just an interesting thought that came into my head. It's not directly related to Cosmedia Tours. So sorry about that. Well, that's fine. Um, always looking for new angles, new avenues, but I think the... Um and I'll just comment on that briefly because I've had, not personally myself, but I've had um, one of my colleagues um, travel to Sydney and had uh, injectable work. It was actually pretty much sold by a recommendation from someone who may have been like, collecting some sort of commercial reward. Right. And I think, yeah, and I think she's spent something like $4,000. She was in a chair in a, in a in a doctor's clinic for a couple of hours and they did the, you know, the whole PRP thing and, and unfortunately, um, she obviously wasn't suitable for the procedures that she was given or the treatments. And um, she ended up looking like, like she'd been beaten with a club for about four weeks. Yeah. And I think that that's, that is a classic example of someone, they get recommended by someone who maybe shouldn't be recommending. 
um, a medical treatment, and the outcome was was basically appalling. Yeah, interesting. Um, so to finalise this, um, you've obviously mentioned cosmetic surgery is your, is your number one, and David alluded to some sort of fringe and, and upcoming therapies like stem cell therapies. Is there anything else on the horizon for you guys that you might be uh, offering in the future? Well, not going to give our competitors any um, <laughs> you know, a, leg, a leg up because we do tend to get copied quite a lot. But I think anything that relates to a medical, I mean, we, we've been doing dental, um, not in a big way, but we've been doing um, cosmetic dentistry facilitation for pretty much close to 10 years since we started in Thailand and uh, handled quite a few um, cases with great outcomes. That's probably an area that we're going to look at restarting, um, particularly in Australia, because, again, there's a so many dental practices to choose from and uh, they're not all equal they're not all created equal so again you know putting our, our um, let's say a hat on for looking at quality being referred by um, people who've got very very good reputations to to put together a collection of great um, dental facilities that's another one but hey you've got me you've got me thinking about the injectables jake Okay, good. And I'm useful for something. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Greg. It's been fantastic to, to talk to you. Unfortunately, we didn't get you into the studio. We were planning to have this discussion in person, but um, it's a crazy time of year and um, not everything always goes according to plan. But thank you so much for your time and wishing you all the best for the future and looking forward to catching up when you eventually get down here next. That's great. Thanks, David. And thanks, Jake. It's been, That's uh, been right. good to chat. Greg, tell us, um, sorry, finally, we yes. forgot. tell us Ooh, how yes. to get... How, how can people get in touch with your company or indeed yourself if they want to know more, be it they're a surgeon or a patient? Well, I guess the best thing is to, is to go through our company. Um, so our company is Cosmeditour. That's um, C-O-S-M-E-D-I-T-O-U-R.com. And uh, just come through. Um, patients can pretty much look at that. That's our international Thailand company. Um, and our uh, Australian company is cosmedytouraustralia.com.au. Um, there's opportunities to connect up through um, marketing and patients, um, getting assessments, inquiries. To, that's probably the best thing to come through there. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great day and enjoy the rain. That's great. Thanks a lot, Jake. Cheers. See you later. See you Bye-bye. Thank you. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.